Our sermon scripture is found in John 13, verses 31 through 35. Um, Let me share this with you. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The word of our Lord. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to hear from it. Um, Lord, we have much to learn about your love and our love for you and others. And so we're grateful that you have, in fact, etched this on Pastor Addison's heart. And we look forward to hearing that. And we pray that your spirit would lead um, his heart and mine as he delivers your truth to us. And we pray, too, that uh, our hearts we prepared Uh, to listen and to absorb that and that we would be renewed um, to greater acts of love and obedience uh, to you and others as well. We pray this in your name alone. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last night when I received the text message from Susan that our choir wouldn't be able to sing the song, of course, I was broken and and heart because people are sick, but I thought, hey, great, I got five extra minutes to talk about this text, so we're in for one today. No, I'm just kidding. We don't. So if you're joining with us for the first time or have only been here maybe once uh, here in the last month or so, we're going through a series called Etched on Their Hearts, and the point of this series is that as our senior pastor, Andrew Vandermoss, is on sabbatical, and we have guest preachers come in guest pastors come in, they would preach from a text that's been etched on their heart. So you would get a sense of who they are and the ministry that they have, and they could really preach from a, 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 passion, a passage in the scriptures that really means something to them. Not that the rest of the scriptures don't mean something to us preachers and pastors, but we definitely have uh, some ones that have been most influential. And today, if, you, if you've been with us for the last six years since we've been here, this is a, a text that I come back to time and time again because it truly is etched on my heart. And a part of the reason why is it's a huge part of my story and how I came to, to know the Lord and love the Lord and walk with Him and, and how I was led into ministry. When I was in college at the University of Missouri, I uh, was in a fraternity, and I came to know the Lord through a college ministry called Veritas, which is Latin for truth. And through that ministry, um, I was loved on and poured into by many different men and and women in that ministry, some in my age and stage of life, some ahead, and some even further that I would call mentors. And I, uh, going into my senior, going into my junior year, which is when I came to know the Lord, um, I, uh, 
I did an internship, actually it's going into my senior year, going, I did an internship, actually where I met my wife Lynette, uh, at the church and uh, was kind of walking that path of, of wanting to consider ministry. And then that fall in November, I turned 21. And when you're 21 in a fraternity, I'll just let you play out the rest of that story. Things just are, look typical in that way. And it was true for me too. And so Though I'd come to know the Lord, I was falling back in some of my ways and some of the things I'd committed to. I stopped going to the college ministry as frequently. I would skip church. I would ignore my mentor's phone calls and text messages for our one-on-one meeting time. And I was just falling into the life of fraternity life. If you watch Animal House, it was very similar. I promise you, it looked just like that. Um, And I'm not trying to glamorize it, but just give you a picture of what that was like. Uh, And I, at that time, also decided I wanted to go study abroad. I wanted to study in London. I wanted to get that experience. And so I had signed up to do that. And that next semester, I went and did that. And uh, it was there that this text was etched on my heart. So I had left Columbia, Missouri, and this group of people, my fraternity brothers in this ministry, and I was really spiraling downhill. As my mentor would tell me a year later, he thought that I was lost and gone forever. Just another college student who had uh, been more caught by the wind, if you will, thrown here and there. But when I was in London, I realized that I missed community. I missed people. I missed this group that had loved me so well. I was familiar with this text. It wasn't etched on my heart necessarily in the sense that I could recite it for you or have it memorized. I probably couldn't have even pointed it out and where it would have been. I knew who Francis Schaeffer was at that time, who's become one of my thinking partners since then. I was familiar with C.S. Lewis, another thinking partner. But it was this text being lived out in my own life that changed me. Because when I was in London, I missed my church community. I missed the guys that loved one another in the way that Jesus loved them. I was won over by that kind of love. It was rooted in a sense of self-denial. It was rooted in a sense of thinking of the other first. It was not perfect, but boy, it won my heart. And it was that lived out that etched this text into my life. You see, because love is fickle, we all love things. It's a very overused word, if we're honest. You know, I love pizza, and I love Manchester City, and I hope they win the title today, and I love soccer, like I just said. I love lots of things. We just use this word over and over and over again, but what does it mean to actually love one another? A love that is like Jesus' love for us. A love that denies oneself. A love that is thinking of the other first and ourselves second, third, fourth, fifth. The, it can go on and on. And this morning in our text, we have this picture in these words that Jesus says that we're to love one another in the way that he has loved us. See, even in the context of this text, there's a couple people that Jesus is teaching to. One has actually just left, Judas, who had said he had love for Jesus, but that love, when put to the test, failed. He loved other things more, like money, notoriety, probably comfort, 
We don't know all these things, but we can assume that that's probably why he left Jesus, why he betrayed him. Then we have Peter. Peter does love Jesus, and we find that out because you and I sit here when the scriptures have been, have been written, and we're able to read through and know that. But at this time, Peter said, yeah, I mean, I love Jesus, but did he really yet? It needed to be proved to him. He did love Jesus, but it still needed, his heart still needed to be worked over. See, to love in the way that Jesus has loved the disciples and loved the people of that time and has loved us as we walk with him is a love with which we are to mirror to this world. This is our mission as Jesus' followers. It is to live out this new commandment, to love people and to love this world, to redefine for them, to take that word back and to show them that love is not selfish. It is not thinking of ourselves first. It's not you do you. You find your own you. You are you. I feel like I hear you, 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 you all the time. Love is about the other. Love is not about me. It's not about ourselves, it is about the other and considering them before we consider ourselves. And so today, we're going to walk through this passage where Jesus lays out this new commandment. There's just a little pause here. What, what does he mean by new? We haven't addressed that part yet. Isn't the command to love one another a command that is, stands the test of time? It was from the beginning of the Bible. In some sense, yes, Leviticus 19, there's a passage where it talks about you are to love your neighbor as yourself. This is in the context of God giving Israel, uh, you know, some, some prescripts, some laws, some statutes, and what it looks like to be his people in his time, in his land. And they're called to love their neighbors as, them, as themselves, as they would love themselves. But the new part of this that Jesus introduces here in John 13 is that the love is not that we're to love others as we love ourselves, but to love others as Jesus has loved us. He points to himself as the example, as the model he says, you love them in the way that I have loved you. This is what is new about the commandment. And this is the foundation for what Jesus is going to do during this, these final words, his final discourse, as he is giving all the disciples the most important things for them to remember. And this time, when he leaves them, these are his most important words, and he builds all this up. So John 13 through 17 is a very, we'll look at some other passages through there as well as we go on. And this final discourse uh, Jesus is downloading, if you will, to his disciples. This is what it looks like to be my followers. And you're going to need this because I'm going to leave you. And it's going to be hard. And he builds all of that on this text. The love for one another. If they don't have love for one another, the rest of it does not matter. What does that mean for you and I? If we do not love one another well, what are we doing? Why are we here? What is our witness to this community to this city, in our workplaces, in our families. What's it for? And that's what we're going to ask. That's what we're going to seek today in this text. What do we learn about this new commandment? What do we learn uh, how to live this out? So I don't know if you've caught on yet. You look in the bulletin. All of the main points are, are love songs. And so if you don't know them, uh, they were supposed to be in quotes, but we missed that part. But if you missed that, just if you don't know the songs, Google them, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Uh, but I just couldn't get them out of my head as I thought about this. That's why they're there. Um, well, the first one, what is love? And I promise I won't sing them if I break out in the song. Somebody please come up here and yank me off stage. But um, what is love? So this is the primary question that we have uh, about this text. What is love? What does it mean to love 
one another. Well, thankfully for us, Jesus has patterned what love is. In the context here uh, in John 13, uh, we get a beautiful picture of, of Jesus loving his disciples. What does he do? He washes their feet. Now for us in our culture, modern day culture of socks and shoes and sandals and not, not a lot of dust on the road, we kind of drive everywhere anyways, we don't have dirty feet like they did back then, but to wash someone's feet, it was a practice and usually a servant in that house would come and wash people's feet as they came in for a meal, as they came in to fellowship and recline together because their feet were dirty and they needed to be washed. But Jesus, the master, washed the servants' feet. This is the first instance, I mean, not in the Gospels, but in our text today, of an upside-down teaching. An upside-down way of thinking about what love is. Love says it doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter who you are to the people around you. We're called to serve and love those people. Well, let's look at these verses just to kind of crystallize this a bit. So John 13 Uh, I'll start in verse 12. If you have a Bible, you can open there. So when he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher. I'm just going to pause. I love Jesus introduces the idea of a rhetorical question. And I love rhetorical questions because he doesn't give them the space to answer that. He asks them a question and he knows they can't answer it, so he keeps going. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Why? For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, it says, pay attention here. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says here, I have given you an example. I have patterned for you what love is. Here's how one Uh, scholar puts it, if as their Lord and teacher, it was not beneath his dignity to wash their feet, then it was not below their dignity to do the same for one another. The greatest of Jesus's disciples needs to be ready to render humble service to the least of the disciples when necessary. And look, this isn't the only time Jesus has defined love. He patterns it over and over and over for us in the gospel narratives. He heals, he touches, he loves, he raises from the dead Lazarus. He goes to the places that the religious elite of the day would not go. He loves on the day he was not supposed to love people. He does this at great cost to himself, to his reputation, to his image, to the way that people would view him as he was welcoming sinners to dine with him and ultimately to his life. Because they set it in their hearts to stone him after he had loved people in this upside-down way too many times. Jesus patterns for you and me what love is and how we are to love people. It is beyond our comfort zones. We are to love people in the way that God so loved the world he sent his only son, his only son, 
I don't know how many of you have kids. What if you sent your only son somewhere? It would hurt, wouldn't it? God sent his only son to die to bring the world to him. I love that text. It wasn't that Jesus came just for our sake, for people's sake, but that the world, the cosmos, meaning all things would be made new under Jesus' kingship and lordship. That's the kind of love that God has for you and me. That's the kind of love that we are to have for one another. We all love stories of sacrifice. Why? Why do we love stories of sacrifice? I mean, I love stories of sacrifice. Harry Potter, The Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, these are some of my favorites. They have stories of sacrifice where a character is giving of themselves for some reason, but for the greater good. Sometimes it takes six books to get there, like in Harry Potter. The bratty age is not my favorite. But eventually he gets there and realizes he has to give of himself so that the rest of the world might live. The rest of the world might be without this evil. The same is true for all the other sacrifice stories that we're drawn to. We are drawn to stories of sacrifice. Why? Because in sacrifice we realize what love really looks like. Because the true story, the true real story of Jesus sacrificing himself is etched on all of our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We have been so loved by God that he gave his only son for us. He gave him that you and I might have life and life abundant. And so we delight in this truth. We delight that God has done this. We delight that Jesus has patterned what love looks like for us. We delight in the sake of the gospel and that we've been drawn in. It's on our own power. Thankfully, we don't have to write what love looks like. We look to Jesus and we pattern what he has done for us. And second point here, the power of love. This one's tied to one of my favorite movies, Back to the Future. But anyways, the power of love. What is the power that comes through this love? Well, here we see that there is a power and that it proves something. Let me just think about this. Reread verse 35. So what does love do? What does this Jesus look-alike love when we uh, live in a way that Jesus has lived, it says, by this, by loving people in this way, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All people will know that you are my disciples, that you are following me, that you are giving your life to the sake of the king, that you are sacrificing yourself in your own interests, in your own beliefs about this world, in your own uh, finances. I could go on and on and on. You are giving of those things so that the world would know who Jesus is. I'm going to read John 17. This is another passage later on where Jesus is sort of crystallizing what some of this looks like for his disciples. This is in a high priestly prayer. So he's at the end of his day, getting close to the end of his days. He knows what's to come, and he is praying to God in the way that God would work in the, the, his followers' lives. So these words are really important for us because this is Jesus, the Son of Man, the second person in the Trinity, praying to God the Father about us. Here's what he says in starting verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. So he's also thinking about those who are going to come into the fold like you and I. 
in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then he goes on, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, my followers, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Two times in that short passage, Jesus says that our love, our one anothering, if you will, the way we treat one another, the way we think about one another, the way we serve one another, is for the sake of the watching world. That they would know, the first time he says this, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the second time, that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. God has a love for us in the way that he loved his only son. This is the way that N.T. Wright puts it. I think this is a really great quote. See, this is to be the badge that the Christian community wears before the watching world. As we read verse 35 and later in chapter 17, we are bound to cringe with shame at the way in which professing, professing Christians have treated each other down the years. We have turned the gospel into a weapon of our own various cultures. We have hit each other over the head with it, burnt each other at the stake with it, we have defined the one another so tightly that it means only love the people who reinforce your own sense of who you are. Love for others. It is propped up. It's the badge that we wear. It is propped up as one of the most important things that you and I can do as we follow Jesus. Is the way we treat one another. It sounds so simple. It sounds straightforward. And look, this has been God's intention from the beginning. When he covenanted with Abram, he said, I'm going to give you a people and a land. I'm going to make you a blessing. In other words, I'm going to give you a place where you can be my image bearers, and I'm going to attract people to this movement, and you are going to bless people by the way you treat them. Even the place that God put them, it was the crossroads of the world at that time. And they were to stand there as little uh, image bearers, the way that one of my seminary professors puts it. They were standing there as little mirrors reflecting Yahweh to the world. So it begs the question, how well do we love one another? What do people see when they look at our mirrors? Do they see a love that is self-sacrificial? Do they see a love that thinks of the other first? Do they see a love that looks like Jesus's? Do you guys get it yet? The way we treat one another is not about you or me. It is not about Christ's church. It is not about the PCA. It's not about West Michigan. It's not about any other denomination. It is not about anything other than Jesus Christ. Because you and I are signposts. When people look at us, they see the beauty of image bears and all their uniqueness and all their dignity. But they should see Jesus Christ lived out through us. 
It's like when West Michigan on spring break goes to Florida, right? All of Florida or all of Michigan seems to be in Florida at that time of time of the year. When you see the sign that says Destin 400 miles, you're not excited about the sign. You're excited about the experience that Florida is going to give you. You're excited about what Destin is and the sandy beaches and the warm water and the fresh shrimp. That's what you're excited about. It's like when I see a Chipotle sign, I'm not excited about the Chipotle sign because Chipotle is the best fast casual place that there is. We can have a conversation about that another time. I'm excited about the experience that I'm going to have. The wonderful steak and the lime cilantro rice and the queso that is better than any other queso I have ever had. I'm excited about the experience of that bowl. I'm not excited about the sign. You and I are signposts. When people see us, they're not to be excited about Addison. They're not to be excited about Lynette or Andrew or Ben, or Linda, or Debbie, fill in your name. They, are exci- they should be excited about the experience they are going to have with Jesus Christ. That is how we are called to love. Then when people see us, it's not that we're cool, and we're hip, and we're trendy, and we're nice, and we're relevant, and they admire us, but that they see Jesus. Full stop. It is about Jesus Christ. This is a way another, before I choke up here, this is a way another author puts it. In this mutual love lies the criterion of the identity by which they will be known to the world. Not in order to win the world's admiration by their irreproachable conduct as a separatist group, but so that by their mutual acts of service and self-denial, they may evoke the image of Jesus in his self-sacrificial love for sinful humanity. It's about Christ. And it's about the way he has loved us. And we are to image that to the watching world. So what does that mean? We ask that question. What do we see when we shine the mirror? What do people see Do our politics get in the way? Does our money get in the way? Either because we worship the idol of frugality or we worship the idol of excess. Do our allegiances to other sorts of things like the way we parent or where we send our kids to school or the neighborhood that we live in, the type of car that we drive, the job that we have, do these things get in the way? Or... Are they ingredients that people see in this beautiful but messy concoction that we are of image bearers of God? Are they used as tools so that people might come to know who Christ is and that he has a love for them, a love that he was willing to go to the cross and die on? Do they get in the way or are they used as tools is a simple question. And it requires us to do some reflection Oftentimes in my life, it probably gets in the way. My comfort, my not wanting to engage in too much mess because I'm already a mess. 
I tend to hold people at a distance. I don't let them in. I don't, I don't engage in certain activities with my neighbors or people that I meet because I just sometimes I just really don't want to deal with the conflict. And it gets in the way. Makes me a barrier to the gospel as opposed to a signpost. So we leave asking that question. Are our lives facing outward? Do people see Jesus Do they understand the gospel message based on the way that we live our lives? That's what Jesus is asking. That's what he's commanding us to do. That is the new commandment. But look, we all realize this is hard. Just look around. You are free to turn your head and look at somebody. I know we're a Presbyterian congregation, but that movement will not hurt anybody, I promise. Look around. You are in worship with messy, broken people. You can just look up here and see it. We are broken people. It is hard to love. There, I guarantee you, there are at least one or two people in here that you are like, I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. (laughs) I get that this is a command, but clearly later in Addison, verse 15, it says that I don't have to love that person, right? No. But this is what draws us back to the gospel. It's not about how we feel about people. And we don't have to muster up our own strength. We don't have to pull ourselves up by the spiritual bootstraps to say, I can do it. I can love this person. Boy, they are hard to love. Their culture is different than mine. They have different political beliefs than I do. Uh, They may even read the Bible differently than I do. Mm, But I I think I can love them. You will fail time and time and time and time again until you realize that the one who laid down his life, it's through this, through this picture, through a broken body and spilt blood that we are able to love messy people because we can rest on him. I said this to my daughter the other day, and she said, I don't know if Jesus wants you to lay on him, Dad. She's right, he doesn't, but he wants me to trust in him. To rest in him means I'll let him do the work. I'll allow his reputation, his fact that he is the son of man, the son of God, to be what gives me the energy, the fuel to love broken, messy people. This is what we're called to do. In John, again, 15, I said we were going to go through different parts of this. This was the text that I I really thought about preaching on, but lo and behold, this was the first sermon that I ever preached at Christ Church was on John 15. I thought that might be a little bit weird to, to do that. So you can go back and listen to it. It's probably not very good. But John 15, I'm just gonna read verses one through 17 because this right here gives us a picture of how we do this, how we rest, how we imbibe, how we abide in Christ. John 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Did you hear that? We are the branches. We cannot bear fruit by itself. We have to abide in him. Unless it abides in the vine, Jesus, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, these last few verses. Jesus says it better than any way that I could say it. Here is how he says it. This is my commandment. Very similar language. That you love one another as I have loved you. He is really hitting that drum, isn't he? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. That's what we're called to do. To love one another to lay down our lives if we have to for one another. To be image bearers, to show people Christ through the way that we treat one another. See, that's what wooed me back to that community. It wasn't the fun that they had and it wasn't you know, the, the late nights hanging out and talking about important things. It wasn't this, the activities that were going on. It was the way that they loved one another. I promise you it works. If we can rest on Christ, if we can trust in him to be everything for us, because he is the one that laid down his life, rose and sits at the right hand of the Father, and gave us the spirit that we could be able to do this, if we can trust in that, rest in that, abide in him, then we will be able to love one another. Not perfectly, but that's what repentance is for. Just to repent, to turn, to say, yeah, I messed up. To live in humility and vulnerability. It means putting yourself out there. So I want to end with two very practical ways that Christ's church can do this. The first is C groups. This is what these communities are for, that we could love one another well, that we could gather together and study God's word and pray for one another, have meals together, invite our neighbors in to this mess that we call life together. So get plugged into a C group. Be in a smaller community. It doesn't even have to be a C group necessarily. Just get in a group of six to 12 other messy individuals and love one another sacrifice yourself, your time, your money, your home, your free nights. Sacrifice those that you can live in the community of Jesus' followers and love on one another well. And the second is communal living. What's the difference? I'm talking about outside of Christ's church now. Find people in your community and love them. 
Show them this kind of love. Show them that the love that Jesus has had in your life is for them too. That means inviting your neighbor across the fence that you really don't want to talk to because their dogs are so barky. I promise if he ever listens to this, he'll know who he is. I love him. He's hard to love, but he needs to be invited into our community. You all, we need to be living communally for the sake of Christ because this is how the world will know that Jesus was sent by the Father for us. That's that John 17. They will believe in Jesus when we live communally. Sacrifice your nights. Sacrifice your weekends. Say no to something that seems like a good thing so that you can live in community and show the love of Christ to other people. For this is the new commandment, that you are to love one another in the way that I have loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. That is what Jesus says. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for a very clear command to love one another. Thank you that you also give us the energy, the fuel, the whatever we want to call it, the, the, the essence of how to do this comes from your life, your death, your resurrection and ascension. It is from you and you alone that we can do this because we are broken. We are selfish. We want things our own way. I want things my own way, Lord. I confess that. Move in my heart that I might give of myself more so that people would know you. And get me out of the way. Get us out of the way. That when people look at our lives, they don't say, man, Christ Church has really got something going on. Unless that something is Jesus, that is what we are for. Jesus is more. Help us to live that way, to talk that way, to walk that way, to use our finances and our political persuasions that way. Use them as tools, not as barriers, Lord, that the world might know who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.